You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. We've got a great guest today, once again, another uh, business owner, entrepreneur, and actually the owner of Divestopedia. We've got Corey Jansen. He's the president of Golf Capital, which is a private investment firm, and the co-founder of Genalta Interactive, which is an online media company. Uh, Corey's going to share his story of being a co-founder of Investopedia and eventually selling that business to Forbes Media. So I'm real excited to have you on the show today, Corey. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I'm excited as well. Thanks for having me, Noah. Yeah, so why don't you start by telling our listeners about, you know, your experience in Investopedia, what that site was and and became and the the process of selling it to Forbes. Yeah, it's uh, uh try to condense it down for a little bit. So Investopedia is a, a site educational content and tools aimed at helping individual investors. I started the company, co-founded it along with another partner back in in '99. We bootstrapped it uh, through the years, and you know, bit by bit by bit, grew it to. Uh, it was you know, by the time we sold, uh, it was a uh, you know, top ten financial, uh, uh, top ten property you know, in, in in the financial space in terms of unique visitors, and and uh, you know, it was a great ride the whole way through, taking it from literally two guys in a 450 square foot office to you know. Uh, to to, to, to selling out to a, to an amazing organization like Forbes. So, how did you get that idea? You know, '99. That's right before it all, all kind of came crashing down, and, and you survived. So, what was that experience like? Well, I don't think we could have picked a worse time to start a, 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 a finance company. Uh, and, and to be clear, we weren't we weren't really in the financial industry in terms of lending per se, but rather it was the you know the publishing, and we you know we generated revenue from the advertising to you know mostly the big U.S. brokerages, so you know, the Charles Schwabs and E Trades of the world were, were our core clients. But yeah, the the peak of the Nasdaq for those who who remember a little bit of their financial history was was March of two thousand. We had started the company. We're a bunch of stock geeks, and said, "Hey, let's try to build something." It kind of started in the summer of '99, and formally incorporated in February of 2000. So we basically picked the top of the bubble. <laughs> the thing is, we, you know, it was kind of in hindsight, it's fortunate because we really then couldn't raise any external capital. Uh, we had to bootstrap it. We had to do it ourselves. And so from early on, that taught us about. The, the importance of cash, the importance of those kind of old-fashioned small business uh, fundamentals in terms of building that business and getting, you know, just working for your first few clients, getting money in the door and trying to make a go of it. And, and uh, like, eventually by the time you were exiting, how many people were involved in that company? 
We had uh, around 30 full-time staff, and then the network of contributors that we had to contribute content was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 uh, professionals from all across uh, the country that would, would be putting in content, as well as some outsourced, uh, as well as, you know, it was a very virtual organization, and, you know, you also had your, your external contractors for code who, you know, over in the Ukraine and so forth, so it, it, it was it, it, it was a relatively small business employee size, um, but I think because of just the nature of how the internet changes things, we were able to do some pretty big things. And you know, on a month-to-month basis, we'd attract three and a half million unique visitors to the site. So it's it just when you think about what the internet allows you to do and, and that reach that allows you to have from and the way you can build kind of different organizations, we really were able to take advantage of that um, just because of the nature of technology. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive how, you know, not only that the Internet changes our ability to communicate, but that someone like you could, you know, bootstrap an organization that has that great of a reach in, around the world. So that's Right, and, and, and as, you know, the, the, as the media business was changing and it, you didn't need to hire dozens of journalists and have them sit in an expensive office space, really that was part of what allowed us to succeed. And you know, to a certain extent, it's a, really a lower cost model than than the traditional, you know, the, the traditional media, the traditional publishers, uh, just because of the old media wasn't really quick to adapt to how the world is changing. Yeah. So what prompted you and your partner to decide to get out of that business? How did it, how did it come about? We we'd always knew that an exit was on we, we didn't build the company to sell uh but we'd always we're, we're open we, we were very careful about not building it around our personalities so that we knew that one day maybe that was an option it, it was getting pretty frothy in those days the market uh in, in in our industry and you could really tell when you're getting all these you know you have these you know 19 or 20 year old kids from all the investment banks and the VC firms and the PE firms calling up and you could you know just tell they're kind of dialing for dollars trying to trying to see if you'd be interested in selling what's your revenues what's this and you kind of get sucked into these calls because you can see they're just fishing and trying to generate leads for for for, for their firm and after a while you you talk to enough of them and you say okay we either need to just cut this off or we need to run a formal process so because you know we saw this in the market because it seemed like uh, you know some comparables were coming at you know really good multiples we actually went and then started interviewing uh uh investment bankers and eventually narrowed it down to to, to one firm that that uh, done in Silicon Valley who who had done some similar deals that that, that we respected uh, and 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 started the formal process with them and how long was that process between, you know, making that decision, we're going to hire someone, hiring someone, and then eventually getting Forbes to give you money? Right. So it was the summer of 2006. We were talking about it, started talking to a lot of the different uh, – and, again, these are – you know, it's not like it's Goldman Sachs or something like that, but more of the small boutique uh, investment banks. So we had you know, three or four of them that we were talking to in the summer. I think it was August or so that we actually signed on. 
as we went through, we, you know, they would kind of build the book over the next couple months. We had some initial calls, you know, you know, they put it out to 40 or 50 organizations at that point. Uh, uh, you know, so we we're in November, December, you started having initial calls, the request for information, you know, after Christmas, it then turned into January, February, you started to have everybody coming up to, we were actually located in, in Canada. So we had uh, about 10 different firms, we'd narrowed it down to that came up and visited us at the offices. Uh, in, in, in Canada, then from that point we narrowed it down and asked for some LOIs. Some is really the, the banker did it in a, in, in a great way where he just kind of put them all as very very loose LOIs. Just you know put in whatever you're thinking. We narrowed it down to three, um, and then at that point we went and visited each of those three firms. Uh, in you know uh, 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 their respective locations and, and and finally closed with Forbes in April of 2000. So uh, pretty much a nine-month window from start to finish, um, from kind of hiring the banker, talking, you know, going out initially with your book, lots and lots of phone calls, narrowing it down, and then and then finally going through that final closing process. That sounds pretty efficient, actually. Uh, so, what was what was the biggest lesson you learned in terms of process for you know hiring a banker, you know presenting your company, selecting who the buyer is going to be? What what would you say is the biggest lesson you oh, learned there? Oh man, that's that's such a that's such a great question. I. I've probably had, you know, you know, 20 or 30 hours with other entrepreneurs talking about this, and I, I swear you could write a book on it, even though I've only really done that one deal. I, I think the biggest lesson is that I didn't realize beforehand is how uh, you have to manage your team differently at different stages of the process. So early on, your investment banker is your best friend because he or she is so incented to try to get you the right deal, get you in front of the right people. You know, they're working very hard. At that point, your lawyer is your worst enemy because he's just racking up your bill. As you go throughout the process, it kind of flips. And there is a certain point there where once the banker or the broker has figured he can get as much as you can get, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, let's be – as much as he's cheering for you and everything, he's trying to make a he's trying to make a buck as well. So, <laughs> at that point, your your lawyer's your best friend because your, your your banker doesn't care about the reps and warranties or all the indemnifications and everything you're doing in the actual legal agreement. And all of a sudden, then, so you have to manage the, the transition between these different elements of the team. And of course, then you have your tax planners that come in, and, and you know, if your if your tax planner is the same as your accountant previously, if you have other exit planners that were involved beforehand, you know, I, I think you could kind of just take any one of these professionals and put into the process. But th- th- that key that key idea, though, of you know, they're all on your team, they're all for you, but you have to treat them differently and manage them, you know, differently based on where you are through the stage in the deal. That's great advice. And I think uh, as a corollary, you know, I always tell clients to be very conscious of how people get paid, (laughs) you know, and and that'll tell you a lot about their advice. Um, And, you know, the same is true for me. I always tell a client, look, you know, this is something I think you should do. Here's how I'm going to get paid. You know, I don't think I'm biased, but you should weigh that in your decision. Uh, Yeah, and you want to align your interests as much as possible. I mean, we, uh, one of the, one of the best things I did with uh, my, our partners, my partners before selling is we, we sat down and we wrote down on 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 paper and physically writing down pen to paper I think was important because there's you know, just something different about a goal that's you know literally there and you know you can look at and touch and feel you know what we would sell 
before what you know what our parameters of the deal were and 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 that became really helpful afterwards to be able to then take that and you know as you're in that roller coaster ride of emotions at the end of it where things are going back and forth and you just can't even keep your head straight it grounded us you know we actually physically brought out that paper and said hey listen here's what was our number this was our goal you know nothing you know what else has changed in the last six months here let's stay focused on this on this main mission here and, and and so, you know, because we did that, we could also say to, you know, our banker, we incented them by, we actually gave them a, a above market fee over a certain dollar. So, you know, you kind of hear about standard scales and so forth. We just said, hey, if we get X amount, we know we're going to be happy with that. So anything over that, let's just, you know, do whatever we can to incent that guy. You know, alignment of interest works for whether you're trying to hire a salesperson or whether you're trying to actually sell a business, right? And and, and so understanding how, you know, what people's motivations are, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's so important. And it it, it almost sounds like it's too simple, right? Like it, it, it's just we know this when we're running our business, but sometimes I think business owners – kind of forget about it as you're going through something that you've never done before like selling a business yeah and you you know you only get uh, one chance to do it right at least the first time you sell so one of the things you've told me is that you know you learn that you should really run your business as if you're going to sell it so what what do you think would have been different for Investopedia had you made had you kind of adopted that mindset and how how has it maybe interact uh, change the way you're running Genalta Interactive uh, you know, in in the years beforehand, I think we kind of thought that we were, you know, thought ourselves more as you know more more as cowboys, more as just you know your kind of standard entrepreneur where you go, hey, whatever, we just you know we we just kind of go month to month and we know what we're doing. We just you know run by gut feel and, and you know to a certain extent, there's always decisions that are going to be made that are you know that entrepreneurial you know gut is is good. However. Looking back on the process afterwards, we could have made the deal pro the deal be so much smoother and, and and eliminate a lot of our a lot of our grief by having a better exit plan. I wouldn't even have known what the term exit planning meant at that point to be to be completely honest. But if we were sitting with someone before and say, okay, listen, it, they're going to be really looking at your EBITDA here. How do you clean up your your financial statements so that when someone's asking for this data, you don't have to pull an all-nighter till 4 a.m. to try to get it in that right state? You know, when, when we first uh, – to give a tangible example of this, when we first sat down with the investment banker, said, okay, well, give us your, 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 your budgets and your pro formas here for the next bit, and we said – well, you know, we've got kind of the next few months, but we don't have a three-year budget. We don't have a three-year plan. I said, well, you, you have to have that. Everybody's going to want it. We said, no, no, we, we, we're not, we're not going to. And we tried to push back and said, you know, we can't predict. This is the Internet. We can't. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if uh, uh, the projections are just your best guess, even if even if they're not even completely accurate, the fact of the matter is everybody wanted them. Everybody wanted to see that you had a vision for the business. And so unless you want to take a haircut on your multiple, you need to play the game and you need to understand that you need to be able to convey what might be your gut feeling, what might be you know that kind of entrepreneurial sense you have. You still need to be able to communicate that vision in a language that you know the guys on, on Wall Street or the guys, uh, you know, the financial guys can understand. Yeah, what we try and encourage clients to do is develop those three-year projections, you know, 
far in advance of when they're going to exit, and that way they could get better at it, for one. And for for second, they also have a track record of, you know, how they've done. Hey, this is what I thought we'd do. This is how we actually have done. And a lot of times what I found in negotiating is that if you have a good track record of projecting and hitting those projections, it can influence the EBITDA multiple because there's more certainty totally. to the future. So. Com- completely, uh, completely. And we were lucky that we had a good banker, so we were having the conversation with them and not necessarily with a prospective acquiree or acquirer. Uh, you know, but at that point, we had to go retool our whole accounting system to try to be able to put it in a format that we wanted to do for the book, right? <laughs> you know, if yeah. we could have saved a lot of that grief, you know, I, I, I think it can be summed up best where the way I view business now and the way I view exit planning now is you should be running your business or I will run my all my businesses, you know, with an exit plan in mind, not just because I ever want to sell, but because it's actually a better way to run the business. It actually makes you more disciplined because you need to keep this plan because you need to be thinking about this type of stuff. Thinking about the business or looking at the business how an outsider would is in many ways very powerful because it it, it forces you to, to to stick to the goals and and it forces you to stay more disciplined. Yeah, I totally agree. So one of the things that uh, you did is obviously you went to go work for the buyer. And I know from talking with you that, you know, it was an eye-opening experience. So tell me some of the things you, you learned and found out about, you know, being an, an owner, operator, and then an employee. Well, I, I guess, first of all, we had, we had nothing but positive things to say about the Forbes family. I mean, it, you know, Forbes Media uh, was and still is a, a private organization, so it was a little bit different than working for – I mean, they've got you – know, everybody knows the name, um, but, you know, but they're not publicly traded. So it was, it was really um, maybe a unique situation in that sense because they're, they're, they're large but you know, still have the flexibility in some ways that you know, the private companies have over, over public companies. So the, the, you know, the Forbes family was great. Um, you know, I, I think though that over time, you, I learned that I just couldn't work in an environment for someone else, and you know, not a knock on themselves or their business or any other people that, that that I worked with while I was part of it. It's just once you get used to making the right decisions and having that flexibility, it's it's hard to go back. So you know, we we, we had uh, a lot of freedom right after we sold. They didn't change anything, and then and the the financial crisis hit, and I think every business really tightened up a little bit and uh, or a lot. And and so when that happened, all of a sudden you felt a little bit stifled, right? Because you used to have all this flexibility and that wasn't there anymore. And so it's something that you don't realize how much you valued it until it's gone. And and was there a wake-up call one day where you you said goodbye or did you have an agreement where, you know, there was a fixed date that you were intending to leave? Yeah, we did have we did have a a, a two year contract, so we knew we had to stick around for that. I, I guess the the one moment that I can think of is getting into my car and driving to work, and not wanting to go. The, the, my, my car ride. I actually like my commute in the morning. It's it's not too long, you know, but it's it's that time when 
you just sort of you're by yourself in your car and for myself it's almost you focused on what you're going to do that day and and usually i'm i'm just i, I can't wait to get to my desk I'm i'm pumped i'm excited i'm ready to go i mean that's how i've my my entire professional career of always you know that car ride is kind of okay you know getting ready to go here and and then when all of a sudden it wasn't you know that i say like, oh man you know all this you know how much longer you know this is gonna be a rough day i don't don't even want to go into the office i knew that all of a sudden that maybe after that two mark two year market uh, you know i need to make a change yeah so uh when you decided to make a change what are some of the things you've been doing and how might they um have been shaped by the experiences that you had in founding Investopedia, selling Investopedia, you know, recognizing the importance of running a business like you're going to sell it. I, I, I guess, I guess, two things. First, more of a kind of a maybe a, a little bit more fluffy, but uh, I didn't really think about motivation beforehand. I didn't really think about, you know, I just kind of thought if you're an entrepreneur, you're motivated and. You know that it's just it's just inherent in who you are. Afterwards, as I went and spent a lot of my time investing and more on the passive side, I I, I began to realize that what I really like to do is build things. You know, I really like you know the process of building a company, right? And I got a lot out of that as much as. You know, my my father uh, has has a great thing. He says, you know, business is a game and money is points. Money does matter. I mean, money isn't everything, but it does matter, and it especially matters in business, right? And take anybody who's had trouble making payroll, and you realize that cash is king and it does matter. However, it doesn't necessarily equate into, you know, happiness in business. Or sorry, in terms of happiness, in terms of how you're working on a day to day. So what I kind of realized is that I really wanted to get back in and, and build something again. And that process of working with people that you like and respect—I mean, that's fun, uh, you know. And, and, and every day I go to work, and and I want to go, and I can't wait to get there. And I and you know, when when it's uh, you know 5:30 or 6 o'clock rolls around, you know, I I wish I had more time. Um, and so figuring out what my motivation there was, it actually took me. Uh, uh, it took me a couple of years to actually figure out that that's what I wanted. Um, the second thing that I took out, uh, 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 I think that probably changed me after I sold, was that I, I think we had a bit of an inferiority, inferiority uh, complex about, you know, we were a small company, and so the big businesses must, you know, they, they must have a better way of doing something. And I think we underestimated ourselves. Uh, you know, you, your systems aren't poor just because you're small. And again, small small is relative. I'm talking small and being like a sub hundred million company, right? Let's call it like the middle market or the lower end of the middle market. As we got into seeing how a larger organization worked, we realized that there were certain things we were doing that actually were great. And you know, especially when it comes to areas like, say, product development, and uh, uh, you know how we actually innovated and built new things and tried stuff out, and, and were able to. We, in in many ways, I'd argue that we did more than a larger organization could, just because we are so more nimble. And so that lesson, I mean, that's given me more confidence now in the next businesses to say, even though you might be in a market that's up against some, you know, big bad 800-pound gorilla, there's always a way to be faster and more nimble around them, and there's always opportunity, despite the fact that you might not have the same capital or brand or whatever advantage that larger organization has. So 
when did you start getting into the uh, you know repeatopedia.com businesses? When did, yeah, when I always joke with everybody that I'm just really bad at thinking of new names, right? So with Divestopedia <laughs> after, yeah, I, I, I feel. I mean, first and foremost, I, I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, and, and uh, you know, second, I'm, I'm an investor and a finance guy, uh, and, and I think I'm more powerful because it kind of focused on both. But that entrepreneurial um, uh, history, I think, it's hard to explain unless you've ever kind of, unless you you know other people that run businesses. But I think most guys can, most entrepreneurs can identify with this. That you know, as an entrepreneur, you're kind of on your own. You're kind of, you know, you're kind of screwed, right? You know, your your employees want more money. Your your customers are trying to nail you down. Your suppliers are always pushing you out and extending you out. You know, to to a certain, there's this feeling that you know, I've got this. I really believe that as entrepreneurs, we need to stick together. And so after going through that process of the, you know, the, the roller coaster of, of, of selling a business and being completely outmatched by all these guys that have done way more deals and, and kind of learning as you go along, um, when I was approached by current partners with uh, Divestopedia, they said, you know, we want to create a, you know, a site basically like Investopedia, but helping entrepreneurs, helping business owners, you know, maximize value, doing a deal on their terms. The, the idea just resonated with me. And so we've got this, you know, you know model of, of publishing content and, 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 you know, not to get into too much on the on the business model to you know bore the audience there, but you know, creating educational content and tools to help people do something better and to help entrepreneurs you know better maximize value, it just seemed like the perfect fit, and so we're having a lot of fun doing it right now. Sounds cool. And then, how, where do you get ideas for the other sites and and other information that you publish? Yeah, so we're in. I mean, we, we have a uh, you know three or four different iron, uh, three or four different kind of main sites. There's Techpedia is another one, and 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 then we've got half a dozen irons in the fire for. It takes a long time to to build up some of these sites. Uh, you know, to to, to to gain traffic, to gain that initial, uh, you know, base of of, of users is you, know, you need to have a little bit of patience. But uh, when we we look at any market and try to identify whether there's an unserved need there in terms of uh, you know people are trying to make better generally business decisions usually kind of b2b sites it, you know can we can we create compelling content that someone else out there is not creating um, and can we you know match them up is there an advertising base that uh, that wants to target that particular demographic so uh, you know the we've got a kind of a larger checklist that we look through when it, when it comes to approaching any different vertical but uh, it, essentially it's been a matter of partnering with industry experts, people who know a lot about that particular vertical and providing them the, the IT, uh, the technology and the, and the media experience in the back end to try to create a, a, a JV that, that, that makes sense to take on any, any specific area. So uh, let's talk about Divestopedia because we're on the Divestopedia Exit Strategy podcast. I think it would make sense. Um, you know, we've got a, a nice group of listeners, and thank you to all of you for listening to us. And, uh, again, if you could share your feedback on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, our, our audience is broken out between owners and advisors to owners, so how can they participate in the site? I know a lot of people would like to contribute, so why don't you maybe discuss that for a moment? Our, our focus, uh, or one of our main focuses on the content side over the next while, is going to be around sharing success stories. I think you, know, you turn on the evening news, uh, and you know it's 
economy's bad, and it's always negative, right? But there's so many positive stories that you hear when you talk to to to, to advisors and intermediaries or, or business owners. We think there's a lot of we think there's a lot of power in being able to share those stories. It could be you know, a, 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 an entrepreneur who has sold a business and, you know, the lessons that he or she has learned from that. It could be, you know, more the advisor who has, you know, had a difficult problem that they worked through somehow. If anybody, ha- you know, we're always on the lookout for any of these success stories, and we want to be able to be that platform that they can get that story out and kind of share it so that others can learn from it. And so, it, you know, if, you know, when, when we when we edit this and put it up on the site, we'll put uh, you know a direct link to contact information on there. Uh, I, I would I would highly encourage any a, anybody who's listening that might have that story that might w- want to share their uh, uh, sh- share share their 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 experience to to give us a shout. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, before we wrap our interview, why don't you talk a little bit more about you know what you think our audience should hear based on not only your experience being an owner and a seller, but also your experience running a content site related to owners that want to be sellers. What are some of the things that you would think they should know if they haven't combed through all the content that you've accumulated? Uh, Start now. (laughs) You know, selling is not a... Value is maximum. You know, the site is not just for people who are in doing a deal right now. If if you if you think you might sell down the road, or maybe if you're not even ever sure, preparing your business for a sale, you probably actually make more money and put in your pocket even if you never do sell. You know, but being having that education, having that understanding of how a financial buyer or a strategic buyer might view your business, understanding what systems are required, understanding you know how valuations done and what things might affect the multiple in your business, you know, for for an entrepreneur to start uh, way before they should will pay massive, massive returns in the long run. And and, and I, I I wish I did more, you know, prior to selling and you know and and as I uh, have this experience moving forward, that's like I alluded to before, and that's how I'm going to run any businesses that I'm involved in from here on in. Um, and, and then from from the point of view of the advisor, I, I think it's it, 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 it's also being able to, to to better communicate and talk through these subjects and understanding the needs of entrepreneurs and the needs of business owners, and you know maybe coaching through some of these elements and taking those baby steps, right? Uh, you know, because if you're if you're looking at it and you're thinking about it, uh, you know way, way before you need to, then it's just going to make that the whole process that much easier when the time does come. Yeah, great advice. We have a resource on our website at freedomexit.com where owners can go and download 53 different ways to think about how to enhance the value of their company. And I think it speaks to precisely what you're talking about. You don't have to do everything. You've just got to find a few different ways that you might want to take a look at your business and start tweaking it over time so that if you keep it, if you continue to be the owner, you'll reap all the benefits. And if you choose to let someone else uh, own own it and sit in your chair, uh, they'll pay more to, to be in that spot. So Yeah, and that really is an amazing document. I remember when you first sent that over uh, as you were working through it, my immediate thought was, I wish I had this 10 years ago. But 
it's almost that planting of the seed, right? Just even if you only take on, you know, one or two items per quarter, at least you're aware of the other stuff, and so you can, you know, you're also, it makes you think about it and go, okay, well, you know, it, it, it changes how you make decisions down the road because you have an awareness of going, okay, well, how are the, you know, how is an outside investor going to view this type of decision, right? Or is this getting me further towards my long-term goals? Uh, and so I'm a huge fan of checklists, and I, and, and, and I really, really would highly recommend that document. Great, I appreciate that. So, Corey, before we end the podcast, what else would you like to share? What, what, see, see, now you're making a tough one. I mean, just leaving it wide open there, hey? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've kind of hit on some of the key points. I, I, I guess I, I, I find as I'm as I'm talking with entrepreneurs and they have specific issues in terms of their sales process. It, it, it's crazy how many different elements of the deal came out. Like, if everybody talks about the high-level points, but then guys who have been in, involved in a deal, you, you know, you talk to them and, and they're saying, hey, what did your LOI look like? Or, you know, how do I negotiate this part of the sale agreement? Or, uh, you know, how did you deal with negotiation? How did you hire an investment banker? How did you know your tax planner was right? There's, there's literally hundreds of different decisions the whole way through. And and, and, and so, you know, just like I said, we're, we're interested in more people that want to share success stories. If you have other questions, you know, let's put it out there because we've got such a great network of contributors now with Divestopedia that there's someone who has an experience or an answer to just about any question out there. So I'd say don't be afraid to, to, to give me a shout, and I'd be happy to either, you know, whether it's, it's talking privately or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, putting something up on the site that's kind of public that answers the question, uh, you know, that, that's the, the, the core of what we're doing that's the mission that's uh, that's the, the the gap that i think we see in terms of, of of the online space right now there really isn't a great resource out here where entrepreneurs and uh you know their advisors can can really work together to 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 kind of make everybody's life a little bit better to maximize value and kind of get something done on their terms yeah well, thanks, Corey. I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm proud to be a part of the Divestopedia team. And uh, for all of you listening, make sure to reach out to Corey. What's the best way for them to get you? Uh, email, telephone, website? Yeah, we'll, th- we'll, we'll throw a link on, on the website. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, Corey J at Divestopedia.com, so C-O-R-Y-J. Um, they can always pop me off an email, and, and we'll get in touch that way. Terrific. Well, uh, Corey Jansen, the president of Gawk Capital, the co-founder of Genalter Active, which is the owner of Divestopedia. Thanks for coming on, and we hope for all you listeners you join us again. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.